Constructing your life is about much more than just building a bank account. Each week, join real estate entrepreneur and mindset coach Austin Linney as he interviews guests who are constructing their dream lives and impacting the world around them on a daily basis. If you're an entrepreneur or wanting to start a business, or you just want to hear motivating stories of how others have overcome the odds, you are in the right place. And now for your host, Austin Linney. Guys, welcome back to Construct Your Life. This is Austin Linney here, and I have, uh, we can't keep him from buying businesses. He, he just can't stop. He's famous. Uh, you know, we really appreciate him coming down to do our little lonely podcast. Uh, Patrick, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. I'm excited. Uh, I'm, tr- I'm, I'm trying to do a lot more business owners, private equity, people that are looking to buy business on this podcast. So it's exciting for me. Uh, real estate is where I cut my teeth. That's where a lot of my guests come from. So it's nice to let people know that, that uh, people with families and regular people and all that sort of stuff can buy businesses. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, but what I like to do with my guests is let them start their story where they want to, and then we'll go from there. Sounds great. Thank you for having me. Um, my quick bio, I, um, I'm 14 months into being an acquisition entrepreneur now. So I bought an accounting firm, um, 14 months back and, um, since then I've bought two more prior to that, I spent 10 years working with small business. Seven of those were, uh, sales leadership role in a digital marketing company. And then I spent three years doing small business advisory and coaching, and how this came about, I heard about people that go and buy small businesses. Meanwhile, I was doing, you know, advisory and coaching work with 40 small businesses, and they'd always have terrible bookkeeping. And we we're always referring it out. And I just saw how transformational that was to have real good quality bookkeeping. So I said, why don't I just go buy a bookkeeping firm? Um, and, um, and here we are. So, um, you know, it's been a wild journey since then. The team size has doubled and you know, revenues jumped a lot and, um, yeah, it's a, it's an exciting time to be in this space and happy to, to dig in more with you about that today. So everybody says, you know, oh, you gotta, you gotta start a business or you gotta leave your W2 or you were in the W2 space for, for quite a while. Yeah. Um, I think it's the opposite. I think that the W2 space sets you up with the skills necessary on somebody else's dime to then go take your chance when it's time for you. As you look back, you know, the, now you're the boss, now you're the big boss. You know, what lessons do you think you took away from that time in your W2 that really have served you uh, as the leader and owner of these businesses? Yeah, you know, as I was a sales leader for seven years, um, we were interacting with a lot of small businesses and you see patterns, right? You see some that are um, crushing it, you see some that are struggling and then, um, when I was doing small business advisory, you really see some patterns there of, you know, uh, some people get good at their craft and they can get up to a certain revenue size and they stall out or, you know, they get to a certain size and then they can't figure out how to hire help and they, they stall out. Right. Or, um, you know, priority management and time management becomes a huge challenge. Right. So I feel like I learned those things well, um, in my sales background and in my, you know, coaching that I was doing and, if you look at accounting firms, most accounting firm owners are not good at the things that I'm good at. I'm good at sales, recruiting, like big picture, staying out of the weeds. Um, so I feel like that set me up well. It, you know, it's my strength and my weakness that I I can't get into. Yeah. The yeah. Um, yeah. But I think 
anyone looking to do this, whatever industry, in some ways, I think buying a good solid business is less risky than, you know, trying to build something from scratch and create the next, you know, tech company or the next product on Shark Tank or something like that. No, 100%. I agree with you. So when you set out on this process, did you, was it, were you forced? Did you, like, was it an opportunity that you built up towards? Did, how did you get your wife on board? Like when you're, you're gearing up for, for this purchase, which is going to be a life shifting thing for the family and for yourself. Right. So I, I started to explore it and, you know, there's a couple of books that are key books to read. You read um, Harvard Guide to Buying a Small Business. I read that. There's another one, Buy Then Build. I didn't hear about it till afterwards. Um, and then I started listening to a lot of podcasts um, with folks in this space. Um, and the more I explored it and looked at it, the more appealing it became to me. You know, it has um, recurring revenue, solid margin, sticky clients. Um, it's recession resistant. So for me, I'm a logical person. So I kind of became rooted in like, okay, like here's what the financials would look like. And here's the type of business that I'm looking for. And the more I could, you know, peel away at that and get excited, it told me that there was something there. Um, and at the very end, you know, it was 10 or 11 month journey to find one and get ready to close. My wife's brilliant. She's a veterinarian. She's medical mind. She's not financial. And at the very end, I was like, okay, you need to understand what I'm signing here. Like if this doesn't go well, we're bankrupt. Like we're living with the parents for a while, you know? Uh, and she was like, okay. She's like, I don't, you know, I don't fully understand it, but I always pictured you doing this. So, um, yeah. So, and you know, it's still a roller coaster daily, right? You have times where like, we have all the money. Well, yeah. I'm going to have to go I'm broke, Uber driver. I'm rich. Yeah. I'm broke. I'm rich. You know, all my team is going to leave. I have the greatest team in the world, right? Um, so it's, um, it's, it's quite a roller coaster. So it took you 10, 11 months to find a business. Um, yeah. I wish I could, it took me a week. Like, I, I know it sounds absolutely asinine and I haven't shared that with many people, but the idea of the thing was three years in the making. So let's be, let's be clear on that. Okay. Uh, I've, I have a really good batting average with LOIs. Uh, that's for another time and another place. How did you not, in that 10-month, 11-month span, how did you not um, lose faith? Or did you lose faith? Uh, and then what did you tell yourself in those moments? That's wild. One week. The only, the only, I have a friend, Cassie, and she bought a fencing business in Ohio. And it was the first business that she looked at on Bids by Sell. Yeah. And I well, thought that so, was crazy. So, but you and well, one week is even crazier. Well, here's what's crazy. I got it under LOI. We didn't close. But I actually bought the other business the broker had. Oh, wow. So I was, I was two for two out of the gate. Yeah. Got it. So my path, initially, I was looking for bookkeeping only. And there's just not many firms that come up for sale that are like, have a team and they're over a certain, you know, revenue and profit size. Like, typically, you're probably going to look for something that's over 250000 a year in profit, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and um, there just weren't a lot. So I had one that fell apart at the 11th hour and I had to kind of go back and restart the engine and keep searching and ultimately um, became more open-minded to including tax services as well and um, as soon as I started talking to Steve who's the prior owner of Apple Tree, 
So I bought Apple Tree Business Services. Um, as soon as I started talking to him, it just felt different. It felt like a good quality firm and it felt like, you know, um, we could get along well. Um, so I think that's key is, you know, as you're going through this process, when you find one that's quality, you have to move fast. Um, otherwise, if you hesitate, you know, the good ones will yeah. go. 100%. And uh, when you went through that first due diligence process, um, were there any big red flags that came up or did it, did it get through that process pretty easily? So with the one that fell apart, there were some, you know, like cultural differences. Um, did you try to convince yourself that they weren't a big deal because you wanted to get a deal done or did you, or did you I stay? I think it would have been okay. No, I, I still think it would have been okay. The, the big ones were, um, uh, the team was pretty religious and I'm not, um, and um, it, it wasn't, it was decently profitable. It wasn't highly profitable. And I was, I was overpaying a little bit on the first one to get in the game. Ultimately what that, what made that one fall apart was um, right before we're getting ready to close the SBA lender said, can you send us interim financials? And the profitability dipped for a couple months and it was during the summer. And, you know, they're like, why the profitability go down? And he said, well, we build by the hour, people on vacation. I just, I can't build as much which I think is pretty logical and it wasn't a big dip, but the SBA lender totally changed their assumptions and like wanted me to come with like 40% cash after that. And it just, it wouldn't work, you know? Yeah. Um, so those are kind of like yellowish flags, but I ended up referring that deal to somebody else and they paid, you know, 20% more than I was going to. So yeah. I still think it was a good firm. So anyways, fast forward, start my outreach again. I'm talking to a lot of owners and then, um, as I talked to Steve from Apple Tree, we had good rapport right away. He had great numbers and financials right away. Um, and he wanted to find his buyer before going into the next tax season. So I started talking to him in uh, September, October, and ultimately we closed in September and we closed December 31st. So like right at the end of the calendar year. Um, so that's how awesome. it all So you close. Yeah. And then you get installed. How were those first, you know, how was that first 30 days? Yeah. You know, the, a lot of people say do no harm, right? Like don't, don't mess anything up the first few months, like just listen. And I, it's hard to do that. Right. When you're like, why would we do it that way? Huh? You know, and you're like, eh, is there a better way? So, but I stepped right into busy season, right? Tax season. And they're like, we don't hire, we don't change anything. We don't do anything different during tax season. Like just just hit there, right? So I did a lot of observing, you know, of just how do we price things? How do we process clients, our software, our tools? Um, I started to take, off, take over the sales process probably 90 days in. Um, I wanted to hire and I kind of got vetoed on that by a couple of our key employees um, until after April 15th. So um, I was doing some billable consulting work in the meantime, but I was really just kind of observing on the accounting side. And then after April 15th, it was like, okay, let's, you know, update some of these systems, let's hire and, you know, kind of um, accelerate some more growth. When, because I know exactly what you're talking about, how important it is a new owner, CEO, now you're the sales guy to, listen to those key employees don't take everything for what they say is honest truth or whatever 
how, how do you deal with those personalities and those people that are entrenched, right? I have guys in my company that have been here for 25 years. I think a couple of things worked well for us. Um, previous owners stuck around. Um, so, you know, our initial agreement was he'd stay until May 1st, right? So they feel really comfortable knowing that he's still on the team, very active. And the other thing, we had a consistent narrative and it was true, right? He said, Patrick is a strategic buyer. He has to leave things in place and he needs you. I could have sold to a regional firm that would have like cut half this team and got rid of the office, right? Mm-hmm. And right, so like that was true. And so I was really intentional to just like listen, take notes, and like even like the smallest things I would try to follow through on. You know, if I don't know, like yeah. um, people didn't have a dual monitor at home and sometimes yeah. work from home, and I was like, done. Like we'll pay for it. Like don't worry about the yeah. cost. Like, like yeah. you know, just little things like that to try to build some some credibility and hear what's going on. Um, and, you know, I think over time, like, you know, people start to start to trust you and yeah. um, you go from there. So as you look back now, and we'll get into acquisition two and three in just a minute, but as you look back now, we'll start here with the first question. What was easier than you thought 18 months later buying your first business? I think those first three or four months were easier because I bought a quality firm, you know, like Mm -hmm. I think I'm a resilient person and like was ready for the stress. And I still had that, but it wasn't near the level of like pulling my hair out, like working Mm -hmm. 24 seven that I was like, I was strapped in for, you know? And I think that's just due to the quality firm that our team had built and, having the previous owner around. Um, but that was easier. The well, it's harder. Time, the harder, yeah. leading accountants is hard. Mm-hmm. I'm used to leading sales teams. You know, they're like ADHD and thrive on change and competitive. And, you know, every new client is a win. Leading accountants, I really had to learn how to like slow down, get their buy-in, explain why we're doing something. And even then when you change things and we all talked about it, you know, some of them still just don't like change. Right. Um, Bro, I could, uh, I just had a long talk with my office manager this morning who gave me a book. I think maybe I wasn't as uh, locked in my, my stealth of uh, the crappy week I had last week. Uh, she gave me a book about managing people <laughs> and, and uh, it's a great book. I really appreciate it. I'm excited to read it but I'm really realizing that each component in the business, they, they came from different places. Mm-hmm. They were, they were, they've been in business in different places. Like meaning as simple as the service HVAC guy and the install HVAC guy are two totally different humans yeah. that are in different businesses yeah. and the office people and the sales. Yeah. Everybody needs a different version of you and you have to know which person is in each, each department. Right. Right. That's, that's been like the hard part because I'm laughing because you're I know sales I can do sales that's easy you you, they chew on metal and drink Red Bull that's easy but you come into the account and all raw raw they're going to be like hey bro I'm good back up yes (laughs) I love that so what happened for these other two the second and third to come up uh and did you you know I'm just interested to see how you found it in the first place you know before I bought my first one um I think a lot of people know Nick Huber in the self-storage world, right? Who like 
buys a bunch of self-storage, makes a little tweak, refis his cash and just moves on. And he's just like, buy, 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 buy. And I thought the same thing. I was like, I can buy a bunch of accounting firms, make some incremental improvements and like roll them up together. 90 days in, I was like, okay, that strategy will not work. And now I understand why. And I was like, I'm, I'm going to be very picky for any additional acquisitions. And then lo and behold, I did two more. Um, the first one came about through our association. So we're an association of like 300 other firm owners that share best practices and, you know, what software they use. So the second one was like a sister practice. Like they knew us, similar tools, similar pricing. It was an easy fit. Um, they approached me at conference. The third one, I was like browsing online and I saw this firm for sale and right away I knew it was different. You know, it was like modern virtual firm with a strong niche, including uh, fractional CFO services, right? You just don't see those come up for sale. Most of what's for sale is like old school tax shops. Mm -hmm. So with that one, um, I reached out, didn't hear anything, reached out again, saw they were based in Denver. You know, I'm from Colorado and I was like, I'm going to be in town next week. Like, let's meet. And like, finally they replied and um, was able to kind of like swoop in right before they went in, went under LOI with somebody else. Um, so that's kind of how the third one went down. How did you finance two and three? Two was a seller note. Um, so, you know, previous owners doing like a four-year seller note. Uh, the third one was another SBA, you know, partially financed by the SBA some of my cash and some seller note. Can you, for anybody that's listening that doesn't know what an SPA loan is, can you just yeah. give your brief overview of what it is? Yep, so easy example, let's say you go buy a, you know, home audiovisual company and it's a million dollar purchase price. Typically you're gonna put five to 10% cash down. The seller is gonna hold 10 to 20% and then the SBA will finance the rest. SBA will typically finance up to, I think 75%. Um, over 10 years and you know it's a really friendly debt and it's the best debt that you can get for a business that's typically risky it is you know kind of a pain to do I tell people it's twice the work of a home mortgage you know so like just get ready for a lot of paperwork but otherwise like this isn't possible for like everyday people you know mm -hmm. that don't have investors so um that's do you have, do you have after two and three and a shorter period of time, do you have your eyes on another one or is this stabilized? Is this, are you trying to get to a place where you're incrementally growing the companies or you're open to an opportunity if it comes up? I'm, I'm open, but I keep getting pickier on what, what else we might acquire, right? It'd have to be, you know, a firm that uses QuickBooks online, probably uses UltraTax for tax, has monthly subscription style billing, um, has, you know, similar pricing, uh, similar type of clients, right? So like that that lens just continues to get tighter on like what else I'd be willing to acquire because we're growing pretty well organically and the acquisitions are just a ton of work, you know, to to integrate. And do you, is it just you or do you have like a COO? Do you have another team or is it just you running these three companies? So I'm the, I'm the only owner, but our accounting managers are, you know, key employees and they kind of, manage their client relationships. And then we have really good staff accountants that have been with us for a while. And we have, you know, good people in payroll, but um, so I have kind of a, you know, a little bit of a leadership team. Um, we have fantastic onboarding and, you know, COO, but it's just me as, as owner. 
do you uh do you find that lonely at all that you don't really have anybody else to talk to and a counterpart i'm just i have five other owners so i'm just curious i'm just right now no um couple things go into that um there's a big community on twitter tax twitter and like there's some masterminds in there and then the association that steve was in there's 300 firm owners and then within that there's a small group of 10 that he had been in a mastermind with and i took his seat so i get from them they know the firm we're on a zoom call every month and we do a conference in person once a year so i get a lot of feedback from them in the first four months i hired a coach who had been like a CEO of a large cloud accounting firm. Um, and I'm a big believer in that. So um, it, it can still be a little lonely, but it's not quite like yeah. I'm on an island. No, that's great. So the question is, what does your wife think of it now after three acquisitions? <laughs> She'd still say, I don't know what he's doing. Um, yeah. I think, I think um, she's excited for me. You know, I think um, she sees me working harder than I have you know, since we've been together. Right. So like, she's excited for the upside. She's excited for the future. You know, at the same time, she's like, you know, there's times where you need to turn it off or like be mm-hmm. present as a dad, you know, mm-hmm. um, but she's super supportive. So um, all what, in all. for anybody out there, what were the levers that you think that the top levers you pushed to, to, to grow organically, like you're growing uh, in your business? Like, where do you think people should focus on, even if it's in real estate or businesses, where have you found the most uh, upside? Yeah, previous owner would pick up one new client a month. We averaged closer to four per month. Um, the low-hanging fruit is, you know, making sure you have a bunch of great Google reviews. Um, so we took that from like five to 25 or something like that. Um, you know, big call to action button on your website with a Calendly link, you know, if you're in professional services. Um, modernizing the brand a bit, just being fast when any lead comes in. That's a big complaint that accounts aren't responsive, you know? So like any new lead, I'm pretty quick. Um, and, you know, just having a structured sales process, right? So we have initial call where we do intake, kind of hear what they have going on, address the pain points. We get some info so we can scope it out. And then we have a second call where we, you know, give them a price proposal on that call um, and make a recommendation. So, you know, it's like Google reviews, calls to action, like moving quick and um, just following up with people. Uh, And I know this could change week to week depending on how the week goes, but are you in this for, are you buying many businesses to hold it for 20 years plus? Are you looking to buy a couple and then exit and retire in six years or five years? Like, how do you view it as you sit on your third acquisition? My vision from the start was to grow the accounting firm to about 5 million in revenue and to add a consulting division. So okay. we're, on, we're on pace for that. We've added a consulting division. And then after that, then we'd start to buy other types of small businesses. Yeah. And the accounting firm would serve as like, you know, the kind of the mothership that creates cash flow, creates relationships, creates intelligence for us to know what what other types of companies that are worth buying, right? So ideally we get to that point and then, you know, we could go buy this commercial maintenance company over here, a landscaping company there, or a SaaS company over there, right? No, I think it's so important. I think as I get older and as I'm the CEO now, I don't have any fun calls anymore. It's only with bookkeepers and lawyers and, 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 and you know, the nuts and bolts, because if you don't have proper books, if you don't have proper contracts, 
if you aren't clear on where the business is headed, the foundational aspects of it, it's going to get really wobbly. Yes. And I think uh, all my conversations used to be about sales and marketing, and now they're the other way around. Yeah. And, and that's stuff that you, you know, you find the right team and you lend it to. So me personally, as I told you on Twitter, this was the first year I had a bookkeeper. It was life-changing. Uh, you have no idea. Uh, I would procrastinate for two months to do my taxes, and then it would take me a month. Yeah. Uh, now this was done in about seven minutes, if not less. And so yeah. it was the greatest money I've ever spent in my life. So, uh, and now we uh, are dealing with the same thing in the business, just knowing your numbers, knowing the, the breakdowns and how to structure stuff, man. It, it's, it's, I, I'm sure you see it every day with clients yeah. uh, when they finally have it, the aha moment. Totally. Yeah. I mean, there's so many aha moments with like, uh, you know, a foreign guy that we were working with it, you know, his, his margin was declining over the last four years. And we just pointed it out to him and that allowed us to dig in on us pricing. Right. And, you know, you look at cash flow conversion, right? Like, okay, how much deposit are you taking? And like, when are you taking installment payments? Right. Like those things all matter a lot. Right. Or if you're a growing small business, tax planning becomes really important because like first year you might not be profitable, but then after that, if you have a huge tax surprise, like it just sucks and it'll stall out your growth. Right. So all of those things can just be like total game changers if you have quality accounting and somebody that's, you know, working with you through that. So if, before we get you out of here, if somebody's looking for a proper bookkeeper or tax accountant, what are the telltale signs to know that you have a good one? I'd say your bookkeeping needs to be closed every month. Like, you know, so we're talking here, it's, you know, February 27th. Ideally, January would have been closed by now. January is tricky because it's you know, year yeah. and then et cetera. So bookkeeping needs to be closed every month. It needs to be accurate. You need to have somebody that is talking to you, you know, at least quarterly. We talk to our clients monthly, but at least quarterly to stay on top of your quarterly estimates to see what questions you have. Um, and in a perfect world, they do year end tax planning with you in November and December rather than like, you know, bad surprises in mm -hmm. April. Yeah. And, and I tell mine, because I'm probably her easiest client, she just checks in on a couple of things. And I'm like, all I, all you have to do is tell me that something's wrong. And then that's when I'm going to pay attention. But if we're, if we're just going good, then, then we're good. You know, uh, I, I think it's so important. So if people want to find your company, they want to find you on Twitter. How would they do that? Yeah. So we're Apple Tree Business Services. Our URL is appletreebusiness.com. And then I'm on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn, Patrick Dicker, so D-I-C-H. T-E-R and uh, would love to connect with anyone in this space and always love meeting small business owners. Awesome. Guys, if you got some value from this episode, send it to a friend and we'll see you next time.